Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are punished by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He punishes every son whom He accepts. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Good morning. This Sunday was supposed to be a series break. And if you, some of you were surprised and uh, through interpersonal um, conversations, I did mention that. Uh, so I apologize if you were preparing your growth groups into a series break. Uh, however, uh, I believe uh, it is what it is. We have to just trust that this is God's will that we will discuss. We will continue Hebrews chapter 12, uh, 3 to 8. And the title of today's sermon is Love and Discipline. And remember that Anything we study, any verse we quote, must be understood in the light of the whole epistle, in the light of the whole section of that part of the Bible. And this is in the section of the epistles, meaning these were letters written to believers because of certain situations and issues and the author was inspired by God. What was in his heart was inspired, and they were inspired to write. Therefore, when we say we believe the word of God is inspired by God, it is the intent of the author. So when we study the words, we're actually looking for the intent of the author. And um, therefore, when we study this, this is in the light of the book of Hebrews. So this section is about discipline. It's a very short section. We can devote two sermons on discipline. However, it is in the context of what? From the start, Jesus is superior. He is the center. Do not fall away. We are warning you. I am warning you. It would be dangerous for your soul to turn away. It's about faith. Look at all these Old Testament heroes. Therefore, the most important therefore, fixing your eyes on Jesus, author and perfecter of our faith, who is our supreme example. Therefore, we must endure, no matter what the situation, you have no excuse. If you complain you are suffering, that is no excuse. You still have to fix your eyes on Jesus and you must endure no excuses, no matter what. And then he moves on to discuss discipline. 
The theme of the epistle to the Hebrews centered around the superiority of Christ over Judaism. Beyond superior, actually, because he is God. The author intended to warn the readers to continue in the faith, endure the hostility and persecution, and the author instructed them to lay aside the sin that easily entangles, and to fix their eyes on Jesus, author and finisher, or perfecter of their faith, and he once again reminded them to run the race with perseverance, marked out for us. It, the race was destined for us to run. Included in his exhortation was, again, I cannot overemphasize this enough, fix your eyes on Jesus. Focus on that. Don't focus on the hostility. Do not focus on the other issues of life. The main issue is focus on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith, of their faith. And uh, Christ is the supreme example in the sense that he endured the hostility, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The author would then discuss the value of discipline. So it's in this context we understand discipline. Not separate from fixing our eyes on the Lord. Not separate from faith and not separate from the sovereignty of God and Christ. Not separate from that. So we cannot use this verse and just talk about discipline for the sake of discipline. It is discipline within that context. And the readers should not lose heart when they experience discipline. And it shall be explained that true believers, true children of God, will go through discipline. Point number one that I'd like to make is courage in Christ. The author encouraged the readers not to lose heart. Another word, another word might be do not be discouraged. The word discouraged, do not lose heart. Uh, in Filipino, wag panghinaan ng loob. Don't lose heart. There may be many things that can make us feel discouraged. And now the author is saying, don't. Would you like this author to be your counselor? You're so depressed. You lost heart and you want to talk. And all you want is a little hug. And then he's going to say, don't be discouraged. Okay? Then he says, don't be. I feel discouraged. Don't be. I remember, suddenly I remember David, who when he was, the family of his soldiers were invaded, and his soldiers were, were so um, disappointed with his leadership during that time. And the scripture said, and David encouraged himself and said, no, we will run after them and we will take them back. Uh, but that's not the thing we say in the New Testament. We say, fix your eyes on Jesus and don't lose heart. If you're a counselor and you don't say words like that, then there is something missing. You are too secularized. You're too secularized and you focus more on what? The centrality of man. The approach would be the centrality of Christ and our concern for man. 
our concern from other, for other people, yet not losing our centrality in Christ. So do not lose heart, but instead think of this. If you feel discouraged, he was saying to the, the readers, the Jewish believers at that time, well, uh, don't lose heart, but think of Christ, what he went through. Remember what he went through, the hostility, the, the, the pain he went through, not only physically, but probably mentally and emotionally, when he suffered in the hands of God's creation. And it says in Scripture that the whole world could not be made without him. And we believe in the Trinity. He is the Word of God. And God said, let there be. When God said, let there be, I think it's, I believe that's a manifestation of the Word of God. And one of the titles of Christ in the Bible is the Word of God. And he suffered in the hands of his inferior. Even though he humbled himself to be like man, technically they are inferior. We are inferior to him in the God status. But it says here that he faced the hostility of sinners and um, he finished his race. Furthermore, the author mentioned that they have not died fighting against sin. You have not died. You have not shed your blood in your battle. So one thing we can learn here is there is a battle. There is a fight. Therefore, we must have courage. If you don't understand that there's a fight, then you're going to be beaten left and right. You're going to have a, an, an emotional roller coaster, a spiritual roller coaster even. But if you understand there is a fight against sin, but before you can even do that, you have to fix your eyes on Jesus. But do you know who Jesus is? Probably if we have truly learned mentally we have studied it and then by heart appreciated who Christ is. Since chapter 1, this is who Christ is. The perfect sacrifice, a perfect high priest, somebody greater than Moses, sits at the right hand of God and God calls him God. Who is he? If we know who he is and as we fix our eyes on him, then we understand what that what, how our faith responds. Faith without the knowledge of God, does, it, it is improbable. You have to know what you believe in and who you believe in. That's why all the time we spent for many, many weeks understanding the persona, the titles of Jesus, who he is, as the author explained, should give us an understanding what it meant that he must be the basis of our faith. Let's look at verse 3 and 4 in chapter 12. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So how, how will you not grow weary and lose heart despite all the persecution? Well, I, we cannot fully relate in our context because we are not experiencing the same persecution as they are. Therefore, I say to us, I think I can say it best in Filipino. Huwag tayo masyadong maarte 
konting problema, parang ang bigat na ng mundo mo, hindi ka pa naman binabalatan ng buhay eh. Ano? Buo pa naman ang mga daliri mo. Buo pa yung katawan mo. Yung iba doon, putol-putol na eh. But if ever you feel discouraged in our time and setting and season, one way not to lose heart is what? Think of him and his example. Verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. So there is a battle. And uh, sometimes I am pleased to hear when some of you shared to me your your battles and you're humble enough to admit I'm battling against this sin and how much you're trying. And so, of course, we advise you to keep looking on the Lord. It's about prayer and understanding the word so that our inner man gets strengthened. Our inner person must be fed and strong to resist these attempts. The problem is when there is no struggle. When there is no struggle, you just give in to any sin. Whether it's gossip, you just give in. Whether it's jealousy or bitterness, you just give in. And that becomes part of your normal life, but you label yourself as a Christian. There is no struggle. You just do what you want, do what you feel, and you make give prime importance to your emotions, which is our world today, by the way. The world today is centered on their emotions. I think... That's why it's, for me, it's good to study thought leaders in history, whether I agreed with them or not. So yes, I, I do read and study about the great thinkers from ancient days, not only the biblical ones. Well, I'm just appreciating thought, thought process, the ability to, to use critical reason, to use reason and less of emotion. I'm not against emotion that's part of being human, but if you use emotion as the basis of things you believe and do, the habits that, that form it, and that is the basis of all your relationships, and I'm saying that that is, that is dangerous. I hope you fight. First is awareness. I mentioned to you a, the Dunning-Kruger effect that we studied in business school, or that I have read that the, some people who are uh, there's a some people have very little self-awareness and in fact what they think is the opposite they think they're so excellent and competent but in the reality of the study is these are not but there is a belief that i'm good i can do it i'm better than a lot uh, but the results don't show it and uh, and therefore a sense of entitlement and I think there are many in this generation who, not only in here, in, in all generations, but it has been magnified through social media as well. And um, you think you're okay in your relationship. You think it is everybody has a problem except you. So when talking with you, you just see all, you magnify, in, even in your own mind, silently, quietly, you magnify what's wrong with everybody. But what you don't magnify is your awareness of self. And that is fixing your eyes on people. And then you have the opposite. Those who are so focused on the self, either they get so depressed or so egotistical, instead of fixing their eyes on Jesus. 
and other to the border of idolatry or even committing idolatry in their admiration of other humans. I, I do admire other humans, don't get me wrong. I admire excellence. I appreciate a good singer. I appreciate a, a good artist. I appreciate a good speaker and writer. Yes, I am that person. I appreciate them and I quote them and I share to others what I learned from this mentor and from that mentor, I share it to others. Yes, because that is what a disciple is. He learns from others, especially his mentors, and he quotes his mentors. Why? Because what? Again, there's the issue of plagiarism. If you know that in, in the university, if you're claiming an idea to be yours, but you learn it from someone you don't cite it, that's plagiarism. If you quote many sources, it's research, right? So I say, some people are not really considering his example, and they're not fixing their eyes on Jesus. They're fixing their eyes on other people, and an admiration to a point that you don't use the scriptures as the superior thing, then that is wrong. And here we're careful in this church to say, no idols, no human idols. We can respect one another. We can respect leaders who help us or lead us, but it is only scripture. We are all submitted to the word of God. Now, if ever you're going through because of your faith, you are suffering. And it can happen here. It can happen here. I remember my days, younger days, when my father was, uh, was so into a religion. And he's one of the, belongs to, to an organization that, that goes direct to um, the hierarchy of this religion. Of course, you know what I'm talking about in our context. And I became a believer. And that created a rift against us. And I would say, relationally, there was some suffering for me as a young guy, 15-year-old guy. Uh, of course, you receive the threat of if you, that if you want to be in ministry or what, you don't have my support whatsoever, etc. But then for me, it was an easy decision between my earthly father and God the Father. I choose God the Father and rather suffer today. But God is good as, as by His grace, we did not compromise the truth in our lives. After many years, my father bent his knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he, we are partners in many, many works of ministry. But one thing that will not make us lose heart is what? Consider what Jesus did for us. So are we losing heart? Please don't lose heart. If your problems are only financial, study, work at it, get advice from, from people who can give business advice, uh, but don't get emotional about it. Don't. Don't lose heart because once you reach that level, it will harm your relationships. Rather be a team and say, come on, let's figure this out together. If you can't figure it out together uh, as a family, then let's say, let's ask help to those who can give us some knowledge and wisdom about this thing. Now, going back, the author taught the readers how not to lose heart and find courage, and that is what? Uh, learn from the Lord's example. Remember that he endured for our sake and how he res re resurrected and now sits at the highest seat of authority. Now, if you pattern that in Hebrews 11.6, 
that God is a rewarder. We go through what we have to go through, but we believe in who he is. And one day, through this suffering like Christ, we shall be rewarded in the heavenly place that Abraham looked for, that the patriarchs looked for, and we will experience that. Now, let's go to number two point, love and discipline. And um, let's read verses five and six first. And uh, the author is quoting from the book of Proverbs. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are punished by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he punishes every son whom he accepts. The author reminded them to value the Lord's discipline and don't faint if they are corrected by the Lord. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises his children. Now, the word punishment here, it's not punishment as in hellfire, brimstone, I don't want to see you again. That will happen to those who are not children. But to those who are children, the kind of punishment is chastisement. It is a punishment for correction. It is connecting pain and wrongdoing. It is seeing the consequences of the wrong we did, of the sin we did. And we have to be sensitive and aware of that, that what happened the Lord made it happen to teach us a lesson. So pain and sin go together. The same way as a father disciplines his children, pain and wrongdoing go together. Of course, as a father, what you delay is your anger. As much as possible, it should not come out. So it's really what's wrong. You did something wrong, especially if it's willful defiance. Childish irresponsibility, just talk, talk it over. But defiance of, of authority at the home includes pain and consequence, or discomfort at least. Why? Because we're associating that. And the, and the anger is not necessary. So if ever I do lose my anger in raising kids, it's not that simple, by the way, if you're raising kids from down and going up. If ever I do, I ask for their forgiveness for losing my anger, but I clarify, but the point remains. The point remains what you did, and the discipline remains, but my anger was unnecessary. So, have you forgotten? Hopefully, we do not, because it, true children of God you would know the times and the seasons that God actually disciplined you. And you just say, you humbly say, Lord, thank you, I understand. It can be as simple as another brother or sister correcting us. It can be that. It can be a form of betrayal. In their context, it was persecution. That the Lord at times uses that to discipline us. And some actually have the theory in the early church because God's command was to spread, make disciples of all nations, and preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins to all the nations. But in the book of Acts, you see the disciples, they kept growing in Jerusalem up to 8,000. 
but they were not spreading aggressively. So, lo and behold, God allowed who? Saul of Tarsus persecuted the church, and they were scattered. And when they were scattered, suddenly there's a new church in Antioch. Suddenly there's another community in another place. So some would even say the persecution then may also be God's discipline because they were not obeying the command to go. They were just saying, hey, hallelujah, we're several thousands in Jerusalem, we're a mega church. But instead of spreading out, so some would say the theoretically that that could have been God's discipline to them. That's why I believe in participating in the global network of making disciples because I don't want God to discipline me in a painful way to realize that. Now, one way that God shows His love for His children is discipline. Many talk about God's love, but they very few connect discipline with the love of God. Why is that? And such as we have many TV preachers that that is so disappointing to a point a lot of them are actually cultic already some are at the borderline some have made statements that actually uh, are against sound doctrine which the paul the apostle warned us about and some have magnified the love of god into a humanistic form of what is love we cannot interpret or this is love according to me well that's according to you we have to know what is according to god God's love is expressed in sending His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, people interpret God loves me no matter what I do. I'd like to say to you that God loves unconditionally the elect, those whom He has chosen. But He hates the sinner. It's in Scripture as well. It's in the Scriptures. But we have ignored that and just say, God is the loving and caring God that you need. I, I say God is loving and He cares, but not in the way you think. He has cared enough by sacrificing His Son. He sends rain to the wicked and to the righteous alike. But another thing is, if, you are, if we are true children of God, part of His love, one of the expressions of His love, I mean, is discipline. Earthly fathers know that part of their role is to discipline their children. Um, now, many of us fathers, were actively disciplining them when they're small because we don't want them to hurt themselves. But as we grew, they grew up, we need more fathering lessons in terms of how do you deal with a, with a teenager who doesn't like to listen, a teenager who's so proud and who criticizes you every second. How do you deal with that? Well, this is not the time. This is a minor issue in the text. But I'd like to say that we did know, we did know our role was to discipline. And uh, we'll have another discussion on how to deal with their children as they grow up. But fathers who do not even discipline their children fail as fathers. If we ignore it, one, because we don't want confrontation, it's so uncomfortable, and we don't do it. I say to you, fathers, let's do it. I mean, you, you can set aside the anger and talk to them one-on-one -on -one and say, explain the best you can. 
Now, if you think you're not good at explaining, so what do you do? You give up? Don't make the confrontation? No. Then train yourself to explain it. There's a video on persuasion, by the way. Just look it over YouTube. How can you persuade? Why? If you give nuggets of wisdom you've learned from others and from your own life, even though you are not perfect, it is your role to say there are consequences of these if you push through there. And it's not nice. You have to say it. You know that you, the way you treat others, for example, in terms of the way you talk about them privately is, is not nice if all you talk about is criticism. You, you, I seldom hear you say encouraging nice things about others. Don't do that because, because that reflects who you are. And a person like that, nobody wants to be a friend of that kind of person. And those things are necessary nuggets of wisdom because you're concerned about them and their future as well. Now, if early earthly fathers did discipline and they failed many times, we fail many times, we don't get everything 100% correct. It's hard, by the way, because there is really no manual for each child. There are general principles of discipline, but each child is unique. They are unique and they are different from one another. And the worst thing we can do is compare them and use that comparison to, uh, as a weapon. If you did that, just say to your children, forgive me for comparing you to others. Just forgive me for not appreciating you and not working with your frame. And I want to work with that, but then scripture must be our foundation. Scripture, not society. Not Facebook, not social currency, but the Word of God. Now, if we believe we are children of God, I say to us, expect discipline. So you say, Lord, I expect it. Just expect it. Um, well, it won't come if you're not a true child of God. But if you truly have faith in Him, repented of your sins, dispel your doubts, and you, you recognize who He is, it will come. Now, discipline for children, the author then urges the readers to treat the hardships as God's discipline. If God disciplined them, then they are God's children, because if they were not disciplined, they were not true children of God. So as we said, true discipline involves love. The love of God expressed not only in, in, in satisfying His justice in Christ, but also also. What? But to discipline his children as well. God's love is not only in the sacrifice of Christ. And forgiveness through Christ, by the way. Through repentance, by the way. But discipline. Verse 7. Let's read verse 7. It is for discipline that you endure. Well, when you endure, you develop discipline. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Verse 8, but if you are without discipline, of which you have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not, not sons. Believers may recognize the hardships as God's discipline. 
Now, if God disciplined us or them, then they are God's children. Because if they were not disciplined, then they're not true children. Now, let me just say two ways that I see within the text of the meaning of discipline here. One discipline is, is what? Uh, chastisement. This is the punishment made because of a wrongdoing. So, one way to interpret God's discipline is chastisement or punishment because of a wrong so that we are corrected. So, we remember. And sometimes, my friends, bad things that happen to us, it makes us remember. More than we remember good things, by the way. I don't know. That's how the human mind works. So who you are today, and praise God that you are a believer, was actually shaped by many good things, but also by terrible things. And sometimes not so terrible things, but your past. So one way to understand God's discipline is chastisement, a correction, so we can remember a lesson. The other way to understand discipline within the context is what? Training. Training, like an athlete is trained. Remember, within the context, even the author was talking about running the race. And part of the discipline is to lay aside the sin that easily entangles. It is training to learn a lesson, to have a mindset, to develop a habit. So both chastisement and, and having this mindset because we are sons... And the way I discipline my sons is the same way as well. It's not only correcting them, but sometimes there's nothing wrong. So what they do, I help shape the mindset. I try to help to shape the mindset. Mindset is important. The wrong mindset will lead to a wrong way of living. A mindset is the lens in which we see the world. If your lens is blue, the world is color is blue. If your lens is green, then what you see is green. If your lens is purely jealousy, everything is about jealousy. If your lens is bitterness and unforgiveness, and that's all you feel and all you see, and that continues in your mind. If your mindset is privilege, your privilege, you should you should have the privilege always. If your mindset is self-centered, then it is always about me, then the world becomes like that for you, and you expect that from the world. But if your mindset is, I want to learn the lesson. I want to develop the habit. So I say, my brothers, don't wait for God's discipline to teach you the lesson. Pursue the wisdom. That's what Proverbs says. Pursue wisdom at all costs and knowledge at all costs. First, Godly knowledge. So when we say read, when we as your, as your spiritual leaders here, a few times I would correct some of us. And trust me when I say when I correct somebody, it's because what we are concerned. If I were not concerned, I don't care. You're not even in my thoughts when I don't care. But the mere fact that we make an effort to talk, to listen. And usually I'll be patient for a year or two. <laughs> but after a year or two, uh, you get to hear me a rebuke like, get behind me, Satan. Though I don't, haven't quoted that yet, Christ. But something like that to that effect. If you keep doing this, you will ruin. And the harshest things I can think of but are still biblical, I would say to you. 
Now, here's a problem with somebody who receives discipline. He only likes the gentle approach, and they don't like the, the direct approach. Because what? An undisciplined emotion is like that. They cannot handle it. And once they are hurt, they think they're already right. Please, friends, if your emotions are hurt, doesn't mean you're correct. It could still mean you are wrong. It could be that the approach of somebody else is wrong, but the message was still correct. If somebody corrects me unethically, the approach was maybe unethical, but the message might still be correct. So what do I do? I humble myself and say, I'll just listen to it. But I hope I'm not the one doing the unethical correction. I hope I'm not the one doing that. Because that's sin as well. The Bible said, correct somebody privately first. And then if that doesn't listen, then that's the only time you talk to somebody and ask help to say, let's correct them together. And that is the structure of Scripture. And I would say, we follow that structure. That's why I, we don't like gossip. I don't like gossip. If you tell me something nice about somebody else, I like to listen. Okay. Hey, praise God. Uh, but if you tell me something wrong, but, because I, but we, I trusted you that you are the mentor of this person. I openly listen to that because we already had an arrangement and all the people know from here, 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 that that discipleship, it, there must be an alignment. So I welcome that. But if you are not within that alignment, go ahead, please correct the person. Nobody is above scripture. But don't talk to others. No. no that, that is foolishness. That is not biblical. Um, but again, we are not perfect. If ever we did this, let's remind one another. And then we try again and again and again to live in harmony according to scripture. So see the discipline of God both as a punishment for wrong, but also as a what? Boom! Training. Training. You remember in the military how they are trained? They're told to run, climb, give me 100 right now, give me 20. Um, then they're shouted at so that in the battlefield, you shout at the soldier, go there right now. They won't say, sir, sergeant, you're hurting my feelings, okay? You don't do that in the battlefield. You just go. So in, in discipleship, part of that is discipline, and we have to learn to practice that. And not for the sake of discipline. Remember, God's love is for what you're concerned in shaping together one another. If somebody's not reading the Bible, I have to continually again and again and again give them the mindset that you can finish the Bible. If you just read a few pages a day and read it in a certain way that you finish all the chapters of a certain book, then you can finish. Application, find courage in Christ. Meditate on what the Lord endured through. Uh, that would be suffering and death. Always think about that every time whenever we suffer because of our faith. Christ endured until death, then he resurrected, praise God. And we should avoid losing heart. Okay, brothers and sisters, don't lose heart, okay? If you're using your losing heart or discouragement to find courage in others, you don't have to. Find first your courage in Christ, and you can share that to others who would comfort you and encourage you. Take note, my brothers and sisters, if somebody is discouraged, 
we want to give them courage. You don't want to feed the discouragement. Some of us feed it. Okay. And you know, one way to feed it is you agree with everything. Ay, oo, kawawa ka naman. Then they feel, they believe you, kawawa talaga ako. You say, kawawa ka naman at dumadaan tayong lahat yan. Iba-iba lang yung pagkakawawa natin minsan. Then, pick yourself up, brother or sister. I'll be with you, I'll be beside you, but go through this. Now, whatever hardship awaits, nothing should stop us from, from fulfilling what? The will of God. What is the will of God? Let us spread the gospel. So let's grow out of these little heartaches and discouragement. And please listen to young people now I'm addressing you. Listen to godly advice. If you're still in high school or first year college, I do not go with the idea of puppy love. Now, there was a song like that, right? Long ago. <laughs> I don't adhere to that. The little emotional tickles you have, little romance, it doesn't end well. Most of the time. I say focus on Christ and do not waste your emotions there. But at the right time, when the setting, when the setting, God has set the setting right, He will according to his will, not according to ours. Number two, value God's love and discipline. If we value God's love, then we should value his discipline. Let us value the discipline of the Lord. Let us not treat his discipline lightly. We should not get discouraged when he corrects and rebukes us. Instead, let us receive with affirmation that we are his children. Let us welcome the discipline of the Lord. Recognize it is part of the Christian life. We should discern it when he is chastising us. When he is bringing pain to teach us a lesson, we have to recognize it. And I suggest open a journal and write. Write what you're learning so that you can come back to it and review it one year, two years, three years from now. Why humans forget at times the attraction to the pleasure, the attraction to the wrongdoing sometimes is so strong, but when we go back to what we learned once upon a time, then we appreciate the discipline of the Lord and we do not easily forget. The Father intends to correct us and He expects us to learn humility. It's always that. God's discipline is not pleasant, but it is a reflection of His fatherhood. And God's people need God's discipline. Therefore, if one believes they do not need it, then such a person may not be a true child of God. If you think you don't need it, maybe you're not a child of God. But I'm believing that you are. And lastly, let us find assurance in his discipline. He uses the challenges and persecution to train us and shape us. On certain occasions, he may use the difficulties as chastisement or punishment to remind us of his word. So, at times it's training, at times it is punishment to remind us of something. God plans to conform us to the image of his son, yes? And together as a body, we do that. We learn 
the growth group is learning from one another. That's why I don't, I don't vie in the, in the growth group as Bible study with only one talking, like you're preaching. I prefer you listen to the preaching every Sunday, and then when you go to the group, you ask each one for the application, how they think they can apply it in their lives. Of course, you, one can remind them the main lessons on Sunday according to context. But discussion helps a lot in terms of learning from one another. That's why we want people to share their thanksgiving because we may learn something positive from them. What's good that's happening in their lives. And then we ask for the prayer request in a growth group so that we know the struggles they're going through. So somehow there's an appreciation of that. Somehow we are slowly learning about each other. And that's how relationships are built. God plans to conform us to the image of his son through the spirit and through the word. The word and the spirit will transform us. God also uses circumstances, situations in our lives to train us. It's just sad that there are many, many communities don't think of training their people. Ephesians 4, one of the main roles of a pastor is to equip God's people so that they can do the work of ministry. And if you're not doing that, or if a shepherd, a pastor, or a teacher, or an evangelist, or whoever you are, you're not doing that, you're not training God's people to be soldiers, then you're, you, we're not doing our job if we're not doing that. It's not, this is, we're not building an audience. We don't need an audience. We need God's people equipped to do the work of ministry. We're recruiting soldiers. Not literally, we'll give you guns or what. Not literally, but soldiers, spiritual soldiers. And I hope you see that. That's why we must overcome these personal issues by God's grace and learn to be soldiers of Christ, equipped and trained. As we pursue the Christ life, let us expect the Father the Father, to be actively shaping our lives in His discipline. As we pursue the mission to make disciples, the Father will guide us and teach us and discipline us because we are His children. Love and discipline, I share you right now a poem. Love and discipline. Do not lose heart, my dearest friend, even if you feel it is the end. By faith, transform your heart and mind so you may see and not be blind. How can one not be discouraged? Will the weak, the frail, find courage? In Christ the Lord, the answer, yes. When we remember, we are blessed. Endure the shame, the suffering, justice for sin he was bearing. In victory, Christ rose again, after which he would then ascend. Don't lose heart. Welcome discipline. Will we just stop our complaining? Sometimes it is God's chastening. At other times, it is training. Let us trust God's will and his way. His discipline, let us not say nay. 
The Father's love reflects it so to children chosen long ago. Are you then God's child, my dear friend? Expect rebuke that can offend. Find peace knowing it's about love, overflowing grace from above. Let us all rise and let us pray. Thank you for your word, Lord, and we welcome your discipline because you are Father to us. Through Christ, we were adopted, and you are the good, good Father. We don't deserve this, Lord, yet you blessed us. We are not qualified one bit. No one is, yet your grace overflowed. You spread your love in our hearts. Always remind us that your love involves discipline to chasten us when we are wrong and at other times to train us so that we may be conformed to the image of Christ, that we may do the work of ministry for your glory and for your grace. Father, I pray bless all of us with understanding and wisdom that in everything we do, we would apply discipline in the context of having faith in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. May we grow in the discipline of Scripture. May we grow in the discipline of prayer. May we grow in the discipline of reaching out and patiently, patiently, whether appreciated or not, sharing the lessons of Scripture to others. Even if you very few appreciate, we know, Lord, that you watch us. And it is you whom we want to please. May we do everything by faith. And as we endure, Lord, whatever trials we face, may we learn discipline. And through everything, Lord, we know and recognize that you want to train us and equip us. So that we may be the men and women of God that you desire and that is our desire Lord, our desire we see our imperfections we reflect on it yet our minds are truly fixed in Christ knowing that it is you who is at work within us as we work in us it is actually you working as we pursue peace and holiness it is you working in us Train us, Lord, that we may live in holiness. Train us, Lord, that we may live, live as much as possible in peace between one another, especially among believers, yet never compromising the truth. Never compromising the truth. For your truth is higher than any relationship. So give us the courage to correct one another full of grace and because of your love. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. God's people say, Amen. Good morning.